Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. Last Friday brought some unsettling news. The Federal Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services released some new data, and that data shows that as of May 31st, 253 Missouri nursing home residents had died of COVID-19. That is a huge percentage of the state's 771 deaths as of that point. And joining us today to talk about what that means and where we go from here is Marjorie Moore. She's the executive director of Voice. That's an advocacy group for those in assisted living or nursing homes. So Marjorie Moore, welcome to the show. Great. Thank you so much, Sarah. So thanks to this federal data, we now know that 32% of coronavirus-related deaths in Missouri have been at nursing homes. What does that number say to you? Well, it, you know, honestly, it says that um, this crisis has hit our nursing homes incredibly hard Mm -hmm. um, and that it's been really uh, debilitating for the entire industry as a whole. So you know, we're knowing we know because of these numbers that we've lost so many of our parents and grandparents, mm-hmm. um, which is heartbreaking for for so many of us and, and those that, that don't have family members either. Um, and so that's been a, a really terrible thing. The thing that's also been even scarier is St. Louis County has actually come out um, even more recently and said in St. Louis County, there's been 305 deaths in nursing homes, which is even greater than those CDC numbers for the all of Missouri. So we know that the CDC numbers are actually a a pretty big undercounting of the total number. Wow. So St. Louis County is saying that in and of itself, it has more nursing home deaths than this total released by the state or released by the feds about the state? That is correct. Yes. So then that's in what the reason that we think that the CDC numbers are low is, first of all, we know that about 12% of facilities um, in Missouri had not reported to the CDC yet. So we know that the CDC numbers were low because of that, and several of those that hadn't reported are facilities that we know have had instances of COVID in them. Um, so that's one thing. The other thing is the way that the CDC asked their questions and, and what they allowed and what they didn't allow, allowed facilities not to report it all the way back to the beginning of March. Hmm. So they only required that we report you know, May forward. Now, some went back and reported all the way through March, and some reported just through May. So it makes that CDC data helpful in that it starts to give us a picture, but then also unhelpful because we're oftentimes comparing apples to oranges and bananas. Yeah, it seems like there are some huge limitations with this number. And yet this number represents, I would say, the fullest picture we've had of what's going on. For for those of you who are in an advocacy role or caring about seniors in nursing homes, how hard has it been to just even get a picture of, of what's going on with during this crisis? It's been difficult, and especially at the beginning of this crisis, it was it was really problematic because facilities themselves were being incredibly close-lipped, and facilities that were very open about it. And think about you know Frontier or Fences Manor, places like that that had been in the news, mm-hmm. um, were really getting beat up. So I think that was causing a lot of them to to be even quieter about that. However, at the same time, we were hearing from family members who were concerned or family members that had heard there was a case in their facility or maybe even had a family member who had been diagnosed. So we were starting to see, okay, starting to see where things were going. And um, we have really good working relationships with a lot of the long-term care communities. So Mm -hmm. we were starting to get more candid reports from them as well. So we we kind of had a picture. We had no idea what the total numbers were, but kind of had a picture that this was something that was, you know, 
sweeping a huge swath of our long-term care communities as, as a whole. And it is worth noting, Dr. Randall Williams, he's the director of the State Department of Health and Human Services. He um, said in early May that state law did not allow his department to name the facilities. Instead, at that point, the department disclosed the number of nursing homes, uh, um, other long care facilities in prisons in each county that had at least two coronavirus cases. Well, now we know that some of these facilities, we're not just talking cases, we're talking multiple deaths. There's, There's one nursing home in Maryland Heights that had 21 deaths of residents. Do you feel like there was um, there was a cover-up going on because they just didn't want to freak people out? I think that th- there may have been some of that. You know, I, I know at the beginning of this, even, even our organization was worried about patient privacy, especially in the beginning where there was just a few patients per facility and they were very easy, easily identifiable. Mm-hmm. But as this has grown much bigger, it's very clear that the naming a facility, especially a facility with that many many deaths, which, you know, certainly that's always just as percentage of the cases, isn't going to out any particular um, individual. Um, But as this got bigger, it became really clear. And, you know, as of last week, I know that Missouri was still one of less than 10 that would not name facilities. And we still don't have any really clear data from Missouri beyond just this is how many per county. Although part of, you know, we, we kind of wonder too, you know, how long have any of the government municipalities actually been collecting and keeping this data? Um, we're not sure that anybody really has a really clear picture at this point, um, other than the, each individual's facility knowing what happened in their facility. Hmm. So some of these individual facilities that the, the federal data has now revealed, um, just a couple examples, NHC Healthcare in Maryland Heights recorded 21 deaths of residents, Nazareth Living Center in St. Louis reported 19 deaths, St. Sophia Health and Rehab Center in Florissant, the Alexian Brothers in St. Louis, and St. Luke's Surrey Place in Chester field recorded 18 deaths each. Those are some really high numbers. Uh, Marjorie Moore, your job as an advocate with voice, have you heard from family members who had loved ones in these places who maybe had no idea how hard hit these facilities were? But in a lot of cases, yes. So, you know, it was really, especially early on, and a lot of these facilities that have multiple deaths at this point were one of the ones that got hit at the very beginning and have been dealing with it ever since. So, you know, especially in the beginning, family members didn't know. It wasn't until the beginning of May that Centers for Medicaid and Med- Medicare and Medicaid required facilities to start telling family members if there were cases of COVID within the facility. Mm-hmm. Um, so especially in March and April, we had a lot of very concerned families from um, from all over the community saying, you know, we, we have no idea what's going on. We can't reach the facility. One of the really big struggles has been the isolation of the residents. Mm-hmm. And that was put in place in March in order to make sure that the residents stayed safe and didn't contract this co- disease. But what it's also done is made sure that or it's prevented relatives to, from getting access to patients, especially those patients that don't have a phone in their room for some reason. You know, um, we all have that relative who doesn't have a cell phone, and a lot of them live in long-term care. Sure. Um, so you know, they're not able to to do a phone call on their own. They're not able to FaceTime. Um, a lot of facilities just aren't set up in a way that you can do a window visit. And in some cases, for people with dementia, that became um, really problematic too because it really just did nothing more than really confuse the resident, which isn't good either. Mm-hmm. Um, so not having that access to their family members has really um, really reduced the the overall uh, 
mental and physical health of the residents in these facilities. So in a lot of cases, you know, COVID is one thing that that is killing and making our our elders sick, Mm -hmm. but also whatever they were in the long-term care facility for in the first place um, may become exacerbated. Um, Their mental health declines, especially if they had any any amount of dimension in the beginning, um, has has often gotten much worse um, Mm. because they've been left alone. And a lot of therapies have been discontinued again because we don't want people coming in and out and going to multiple facilities to spread the disease in different ways. So it's really been troubling on a lot of levels, and it's really been difficult to balance balance all of these things. Um, yeah, this is an what's incredibly right. difficult situation that you're describing. And, you know, throughout the state, things are starting to slowly open up. And as you say, these nursing homes have been shut to family for a long time. Is there any talk of lifting that when that could well introduce yet more coronavirus into these hard hit facilities? Yeah, so in, in Missouri, we haven't heard too much. Um, a couple of weeks ago, CMS uh, had put out some guidelines for states on how to decide to open up long-term care facilities for visitations. And a lot of those things included, you know, the the overall caseload within the entire community that pl- that facility's located in mm-hmm. needs to be go- going down. The facility can have no cases of COVID over a certain amount of time um, and things like that. So um, it's a high bar. It's a really high bar for where we are now, and especially for where we are in St. Louis County. Um, we expect, we, we haven't heard anything specifically out of the Department of Health and Senior Services yet. Mm-hmm. Um, we're hoping that we'll hear something soon, but I would very much expect for some of our outlying areas to open up to nursing home visitation much, much sooner than we'll start to see St. Louis City and St. Louis County opening up. And that does make sense based on a lot of what we're seeing statistically. Although, as you say, there's such a limited picture on on so many fronts related to this coronavirus. One of the things I also find myself wondering about is personal protective equipment was such a problem for so many healthcare workers at the beginning. Do we know if these nursing homes at this point have enough of, of what they need so that they aren't inadvertently spreading things from room to room? So that was another really great thing that um, CMS and CDC were collecting as part of this uh, big data dump that they did on Friday, is they also asked um, basically about different kinds of PPE and you know whether facilities had enough for right now, had enough for a week, and, and what their supply looked like. Mm-hmm. And we can tell from looking at the data that some are in a good spot and others are not. Mm-hmm. Um, and this doesn't surprise me. I mean, all we've one of the things that Voice did at the very beginning of this was starting was asking facilities what did they need, what what sorts of PPE were they not able to get, and we put out a call to the community, and and man, the community responded, um, and we were able to get a ton of especially fabric masks, um, different surgical masks, things like that, out to the facilities. Wow, um, people just donated these um, through your yeah, organization. Yeah, so and it was really nice because it was actually kind of outside of our organization too. So we had a bunch of Facebook groups. We had um, nursing home um, nursing home help for for COVID group. Um, they they did amazing work. Um, Facebook uh, there was another Facebook group that really focused on fabric masks. Mm-hmm. Um, the Chinese American Society in town really did uh, a, a number of donations. I mean, it was really amazing to see the community come together and say, you know, that we wanted better for our long-term care facilities. So um, that was really a cool thing. So we were able to connect people who wanted to donate 
to the places that really needed it. So that was really great. Mm-hmm. But we know that there are still there's still a need. We know there's still a need, especially for gowns. Um, masks are becoming easier to get. Um, it's still not easy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's just like, you know, cleaning supplies for the rest of us, still not easy. Right. Um, <laughs> to so, put some work into finding but, those. But, <laughs> you know, gowns are a big one. So so more gowns for some of really these too. facilities. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's, uh, mm-hmm. that's yeah. yeah. And then N95 masks are a big one, too. One of the other issues. So I can, if we can get, you know, more gowns, more N95s. Um, and, and one of the other issues here, oh, I know. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Um Okay. One of the other issues I know that that's been an issue here is that um, regular testing of staff seems to be one of the most effective ways to limit the spread of COVID-19 in these close-in facilities. Do you have any sense of whether widespread testing of caregivers who work at these places is a feasible goal in the coming months? Well, and that's something that CMS has recommended um, start happening, is, and I believe either every week or every two weeks they, they want employees to be tested. Um, and the New York Times came out with a story today um, really saying that one of the biggest challenges is who's going to pay for that. Um, facilities have been given money for COVID expenses through the federal government, um, but they're starting to look to their employees to to pay for their own testing, either through their insurance or, you know, honestly, many long-term care employees, especially your, your CNAs and your lower level staff, um, don't have insurance. So, mm-hmm. um you know, trying to figure out who's going to pay for this is is the current struggle of, you know, we know it needs to get done, but how is it going to get done? But it is so important that it start happening. Yeah. And, you know, as we started this conversation out by saying we know that at least 32 percent of coronavirus related deaths in Missouri have been at these nursing homes. As you're saying, it looks like that number is probably much higher than that. This is a really at risk population here. What is one thing that you would really like to see people focus on changing or doing going forward? I know there's so much on your plate, but if you had to pick just one priority at this point to, to stress? Oh, man. Well, I think the most important thing is um, making sure that facilities have appropriate in- infection control in place, um, because we know that there's going to be a second wave, maybe a third wave. I'm hoping that we're able that these folks will be able to get out and see their families before that happens. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, we need to make sure that the infection control policies and procedures are in place in each facility and uh, and adhered to. So that kind of ties into the PPE and making sure that, that they have that, that they're able to change gloves between each patient, they're able to wash hands between each patient, um, that they have supplies of all the different things that they need, and that residents have protection as well. Um, you know, residents need to make sure that they have masks and residents need to feel empowered to say to somebody who walks into their room without a mask that they need to put one on. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of, that's probably one of the biggest things because we, we need to make sure that our seniors are, are, are protected. Um, but we also need to make sure that their, their entire being is, is protected too. So that that mental health piece comes into play big time. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, seeing their their children their grandparents grandchildren are a big piece of that mental health so we would really like to be able to see some sort of visits starting um soon mm-hmm. um i know they've been able to do it in indiana and in boston and you know certain parts of the country are starting to figure out ways to do that um, and i think you know it's time here in missouri that we really start looking at that and how can we do it okay well that those are some um really important goals and you have some some clear priorities there that could help us get there so marjorie moore executive director of voice i want to thank you so much for joining us today 
Absolutely. Thank you. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. That's 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.